Canuck Central Thursday. It's Dan Riccio with Brendan Batchelor in for the vacationing Satyar Shaw. We are a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Uh, yes, Dan Riccio and Brendan Batchelor, Canucks play-by-play man, of course, and uh, the biggest celebrity on the golf course yesterday at the uh, Jays Care Celebrity Golf Classic. Well, that's not true because you were also on the golf course reach. So I, yes. I could only pale in comparison to your stardom and and, and its shine, shall we say. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, Pat Borders is pretty cool. Uh, I saw Troy from Richmond out there as well. Uh, Ty Smith was, was on the golf course. It was a good, good little tournament. Did you play well? Uh, it was a nice day and I had a lot of fun with my group. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, so your ball was finding the, the pond in the woods quite often. I hit some, I hit some good shots, which is about as, as good of a round as you could expect from me when I haven't played very much this year, because obviously we have a one-year-old daughter at home and, uh, I value my marriage. So I'm not out golfing every day after being, you know, busy and, and not at home as much as I'd like during the hockey season. Oh, so. I, I have no idea what that's about. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's why producer Josh and I just end up golfing at six in the morning. So nobody gets mad. Like, okay, you're going to golf while I'm sleeping. I can, I can live with that. Smart. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm already pretty <laughs> sleep deprived, so I don't know if I can afford to lose anymore, but that might have to be the strategy if I want to get some rounds in. Uh, fair enough. 650-650 on the uh, Dunbar Lumber text line. You can always get in on the show if you have a question for us. Uh, let us know there and a comment as well. Of course, we always appreciate hearing from you, the listener. So a lot happened yesterday, Batch, um, and... I, I want to kind of get to all of it. Um, we'll start on the Canucks front and talk about Matthew Kachuk and that situation as well. David Pinota is going to join us a little bit later on this hour. But uh, yesterday, you know, we we had the piece from Harmon Dial drop where he spoke with uh, GM Patrick Alvine and also Brian Bartlett, the agent of JT Miller. We're going to talk to Harm coming up after 11 o'clock today. But this feels like now it's just becoming a, a classic negotiation. Player clearly wants more than what's being offered, and team is like, you know, we're we're still kind of working through this sort of thing. It's um, it's become a classic negotiation, and I wasn't sure we'd get to this point of the summer and have it be this way because I expected there to be a resolution by this point. Yeah, I expected him to be traded out of Vancouver by this point here. You know, we're we're well into free agency. The draft has come and gone. And I would have thought by this point that JT Miller would not be a Vancouver Canuck anymore. Now, you know, I think the market has shaped up very differently than any of us envisioned it might. And that is the huge factor in, in why this is still a talking point, And we're still talking about JT Miller here on July 21st. Um, but it, it, it is turning into more of a negotiation now where you do wonder if the, the upshot of all of this will be a JT Miller extension at some point and how that looks and how it fits into the short-term and long-term cap implications for this organization, because I think it's pretty clear that uh, from, you know, some of the returns we've seen on the trade market and the fact that, you know, it doesn't really seem like, like the Canucks have been that close to making this move. 
that this move may not be coming. And, you know, when I look at this situation, uh, I think about value and where you can mine the most value out of the JT Miller situation. Of course, the cap implications are going to make it difficult to sign the kind of long-term extension that you probably would need to. So that's going to be a challenge for them as well. But if there isn't trade value there, then what other option do you have? And and that kind of seems to be like the position the Canucks are in right now. And that's why we're hearing some of these negotiating stances from, from the two sides here, I think. The unfortunate reality here, Batch, is... The way the Canucks have played this, they decided not to move Miller at the trade deadline. And hey, you know, by all accounts, the offers weren't even all that great there, at least not to what the Canucks expected it to be for a star player, a guy that's playing at a top 10 level in the league, at least from an offensive standpoint. And I think that's fair on their part to judge it this way. Then you get to the summer, maybe you look at an extension or you get to the draft, a real pressure point, and expect the team to step up for JT Miller, and that never really materialized. Now we continue to get later on into the summer, and a lot more player movement is happening than maybe we expected, right? Who knew Matthew Kachuk would become available in the way that he has? Pierre-Luc Dubois, 6'2 center, who can score 60-plus points, and is more of a natural, traditional center than what JT Miller is, given that he's mainly played the position just for the last six months of this past season, and before that was mostly playing the wing outside of taking a bunch of face-offs for the Vancouver Canucks. This is a situation that really hasn't worked out all that well from we're hoping somebody's going to step up to the plate and give us what we want for JT Miller because it just really hasn't broke that way. And at this point, I don't think you're getting that in the summer. At this point, I believe your best chance of trading JT Miller for ultimate value is at the deadline when a team kind of sees where they're at and maybe feels JT Miller is that piece that puts them over the top and views him more as a rental than a guy, hey, we've got to trade a bunch of assets for him and then think about a 7 year extension for this player that's going to clog up our cap space for a while. I really believe at this point, the best trade value return, if you are or are forced to go down that road with JT Miller, it's probably at the trade deadline next year. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's those players you listed. Of course, there's still Nazem Kadri out there available in free agency too, right? So, you know, there there are all of these factors that haven't worked in favor of of the Canucks. And the thing I worry, you, you may very well be right that, you know, you have to wait to the deadline to, to mine the most value out of a potential JT Miller trade. But to me, and I've talked about this in the past, but I'll say it again, there are way too many variables about banking on that to be your get out of jail free card. You know, number one, it's your last chance at that point. If you're not moving him at the deadline, then you're giving him the opportunity to walk straight to free agency and leave for nothing like we just saw Johnny Gaudreau do in Calgary. Um, so, you know, you're you're really, you know, hoping and 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 praying and, and betting all of your chips. You're, you're going all in on the fact that a team will step up at that point. 
So that's a risky proposition just because if it doesn't work out for you, then you fall flat on your face and JT Miller potentially walks to free agency and you don't mine any assets for him as opposed to maybe a reduced return if you do it now in the summer. Uh, The other factor for me is the variables that come into play once you go into the season with JT Miller and you haven't had any sort of clarity on this, whether that ends up being a trade or an extension, because, you know, there are so many things that could impact his value in the season, both negatively and positively, but all of those things are out of your control. He could come in and be leading the league in points at the trade deadline. He could also come in, have a serious injury and not play half of the games between the start of the season and the trade deadline. What are you going to do if the Canucks have a great year and you're in a playoff spot at the deadline and you haven't extended Miller? Then you've got to trade your best player on a team that looks destined for the playoffs. How would that go over in this market? So that's why I really worry about, you know, waiting until the trade deadline. Now, it's entirely possible that they go into the season, things work out, they can move him at the deadline, everything goes well. And that does end up being the best possible option. But the thing that that scares me about that is there are so many things that are out of their control in that scenario that it could go very sideways for them. And, And that is a big risk that they would be taking if they go into the year without some sort of clarity on it, whether it's an extension or a trade. There's, there's a ton of risk, but if they weren't willing to take on a ton of risk, um, they, they should have made a trade by now, right? Um, <laughs> the, the longer this goes on, the more risk they are uh, essentially taking on when it comes to a JT Miller uh, situation or resolution. I, I feel as though, like, have the Canucks been too traditional in their approach? Like, we, we just want to get the absolute best return uh, for JT Miller, and, and you should want that, but when you look at the trade market right now, Batch, when you look at how few teams have any cap space whatsoever, how little cap room there is available in the league, especially now that we're through the first wave of free agency and you have still high-end players like Nazem Kadri and, and John Klingberg available, like, there's just not a lot of cap room around the league. The only way to move any sort of salary around the league right now is to take some money back because there's just really for me batch. There's two teams that, that have cap space right now, maybe three, if you include the Buffalo Sabres that can take on money. And I guess Calgary, once they move off of Matthew Kachuk and don't have $10, 10 million earmarked for him. But like, those are kind of the only teams that have a serious amount of cap space that would be able to take on significant contracts without giving back a contract in return. And that sort of limits what the Canucks can do anyhow because they probably want to open up cap space to to do something else with it, but it's unrealistic that they're going to get an entire JT Miller salary off their books without taking anything back. And I feel it's it's almost just been too traditional the way they've approached this offseason so then my question to you and to our listeners let us know what you think on the Dunbar Lumber text line 650 650 how much salary would you be willing to retain 
in a JT Miller trade, because that to me is the avenue where if you're willing to retain salary and retain a chunk of it, because he only has one year left on his deal, that to me, in theory, would be what opens up value. And yes, in the short term, you don't get that immediate, you know, full five plus million dollars worth of cap space that you would like. But that might be the way to get something close to the value that you've been looking for in this sort of trade is if you can uh, move him to a team that doesn't have a lot of cap space, but for this one season, for a one-year rental, they get him for pennies on the dollar. That has to be something. I don't know if the organization has explored that. I don't know if they're willing to do that, but that to me seems anyway like a, a sensible way to, yes, sure, it's not going to help you in the short term, but let's be honest, even with JT Miller on this roster, this team is not a Stanley Cup contender. It's entirely possible that with JT Miller on this roster, there's still not even a playoff team. So I don't have an issue retaining as much salary as possible for the final year of this contract for JT Miller if it means that you can get some assets in return. And I'm, that's maybe more of a non-traditional yeah. way of trying to approach this. I, I might be okay with that at the at the trade deadline. I, I don't know if I'd be okay with that right now because I still I, I get the whole like, uh, well, if you're if you're not a, a championship contender, then then what's the point? But you know, just listen to the way some of the guys talked in in, in the second half of last year, Batch, and, and at their end of season availabilities, whether it was Quinn Hughes or Elias Pettersson talking about the steps that they took and how the culture really changed uh, when Boudreaux came in and and guys certainly uh, got sick and tired of losing. And, uh, you know, doing that sort of a trade for JT Miller right now does send a bit of a an odd message to the team, at least from my perspective. And... If you get to the deadline and, and yet you're forced to make a move then and you really want to make that move and maximize your return, I can see that being an option then. I'm not so sure I would really look at that now unless I'm getting a real King's ransom worth of assets. And that just doesn't appear to be available for the Vancouver Canucks. Is there, do, do we have a um, an improper value placed on JT Miller or. Is he just considered a bigger star in Vancouver than he is anywhere else around the league? The one thing I keep thinking about, Batch, is that comment Bruce Boudreaux made late in the season. JT Miller's an unknown superstar. And hey, that's that's great for the Canucks that they've got this unknown superstar. But it just doesn't feel like there's a team out there or was a team out there that felt they, they needed to go the extra mile for JT Miller. Now there's other players are out there on the market. It, it feels like JT might be a fallback option for other teams rather than their primary option. And that's, you know, that's just, it's unfortunate, but I think it plays part and parcel with JT's kind of late career breakout and how he's been a star on a Canucks team that hasn't really been all that great the last couple of years. Yeah, and he's had a, an elevated role, an elevated opportunity, and certainly he's made the most of that. But, you know, you look at his career, and prior to coming to Vancouver, he had never scored more than 22 goals in a season or more than 56 points. And 
you know, the, the shortened pandemic season, he had 72 points in 69 games, 99 points in 80 games last season. So you're right. It is a late career breakout for a guy that is now 29 years old. So he's had his two biggest seasons on the wrong side of 25. And I think in response to what you're talking about with how Vancouver values him, markets always value their own players more highly than the rest of the league. That's something that we've seen for a long time. Let's be honest. This is why I don't generally draft Canucks in hockey pools because I've been in hockey pools where, you know, a Canucks second pairing defenseman goes in the fifth round because people in the market know their players. They watch them very closely. They value them more highly. And I get a sense, certainly that's happening here, although he's still a 99 point player last year, you know, certainly capable of being a 100 point player in this league. So, you know, to a certain extent, he's being valued appropriately for the production he showed last year. But I always try to put myself in the mindset of someone that would be on the other side of a potential JT Miller trade and say, okay, if I'm a team that needs a player to help put me over the top. If I want to contend, I want to add a JT Miller to my group. What do I think of JT Miller? And, you know, if you want to to put it down to like a pros and cons list or positives and negatives, obviously I've just listed a bunch of the positives, his career breakout, his offensive capabilities, the fact that you might be adding a potential 100-point player to your group. But then you look at the other side of things and you say, well, if you're trading JT Miller to a contender, is he going to have the same role on that team that he has on the Canucks? Is he going to be on the top power play unit? Is he going to be on the top line? Probably not. You know, if you're a a contending team right now, you probably see him as a good second line center ice option that may get PP one time, but is more likely to be on your second power play unit. And that comes back to some of that conversation about the opportunity he's had here in Vancouver. Because the Canucks have not been a very good team, JT Miller has had huge opportunity here. And full credit to him, he has made the most of it. He has proven he is a top, top forward in this league. But you have to also look at that and look at where he might go in a trade and figure out where he's going to fit on that roster. Like, you know, Is he a first-line center on the Colorado Avalanche? Absolutely not. Is he a first-line center on the New York Rangers? Probably not either. You know, uh, in New Jersey, certainly he could be there depending on how things go and if they were interested, although we know they went and got Andre Palat in free agency, so maybe it's not an option for them anymore. And, you know, I'm sure there are half a dozen teams that we could continue to go down that list. But, you know, that's, that's what I sort of look at here is try to take yourself out of the Vancouver mindset out of looking at him as the team's top player and look at it as what are you getting if you acquire him and how does that fit into your group? Because, you know, we've seen here in Vancouver as well, there have been some great ups with JT Miller, some highs, but there have also been some lows, right? Think about the, you know, the shortened season where there were no fans in the building, where he was criticized for his body language and and for the frustration he showed on the ice when, when things were going against the Canucks. That's not something that people only in Vancouver will have noticed. That will have been recognized around the league. So 
you know, I guess what I'm saying is, yes, Vancouver probably does overvalue JT Miller, but that doesn't mean that he's a not a tremendous hockey player that you should just trade away for whatever you can get because other teams won't value him that highly. You still have to set an internal value for him, I believe. And if teams don't reach that, then you can't just give him away for nothing or or for less than what you would have expected. A couple of uh, texts coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox from our live listeners. There is a lot of interest in Miller for a good return. The issue is Kadri. Teams want to see if they can sign him first and not give up assets before they make a move on Miller. Anyone smart business person does this. Once Kadri moves, Miller will get moved. That's uh, one text coming in to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Another one. Uh, from Doran and Cumberland, uh, 50%. It's absolutely critical that the Canucks get as much value out of this trade as possible. They can if they retain 50%. So uh, a couple of people are agreeing with your assessment, Batch, that that would be the way to maximize a JT Miller return should the Canucks go down that road. Now, yes, of course, the Canucks still do want to keep JT Miller, but we all know why the reasons are that this conversation has continued on. It's uh, a muddy salary cap picture that Patrick Alvin has taken over, and it's kind of hard to keep everybody around. But also, if you want to make changes to a team that hasn't been good enough as currently constructed, you've got to make some bold moves, and JT could be one of those that brings back the biggest return. We know all the reasons as to why this has been such a big conversation. It's uh, Dan Richo and Brendan Batchelor here on uh, Canucks Central. You can keep getting your questions in at the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox for us here on the show. Corey saying, uh, focus on getting Horvat signed. Enough JT Miller. I have faith in this management group. And uh, maybe we should have expected to a certain extent, Batch, that uh, there would have been a long time to... (laughs) Uh, kind of move out or maneuver this roster a little bit given the commitments that were made by the previous regime. So it is going to be a process and it doesn't necessarily have to happen now because a lot of these players are signed for multiple years, whether it's uh, Tanner Pearson or a Tyler Myers, if you're looking to move off some significant salary cap, maybe your better option is to hold and see if you can move it when those contracts are closer to expiring. We'll continue these conversations. We'll see what else is going on around the league. David Pinota is going to join us. His take on Matthew Kachuk and what is the holdup with Nazem Kadri and John Klingberg. That's coming up next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central, a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. A uh, couple of more text messages coming in. It's Dan Richo and Brendan Batchelor today. Uh, Satyar Shah vacationing. Um, Miller should have been traded at the deadline last year. His value has declined since then, and there are now more options on the market. You feel that's uh, the case, Batch, where 
Miller's value has gone down just by uh, the nature of how the market has developed here over the course of the summer? It feels like it, doesn't it? Now, um, whether his value has gone down in relation to the rest of the market or whether we've seen the entire market's value go down is is something that would be interesting to to have insight on or or debate certainly but uh, you know to me could miller have less value now than he did at the trade deadline absolutely but i think you know with the the relatively flat cap and the number of teams, as you were alluding to a few moments ago, that have their own cap issues, that is what is affecting the value of players more than anything else, whether it be the the return in the Alex DeBrinkett trade not being what you would expect for a 40-goal scorer in the NHL. I would imagine that, that that same impact that you know allowed the Senators to go and acquire DeBrinkett for the price they did is affecting what the Canucks might be able to get JT Miller on the trade market right now. And and I guess the the debate for us to have is whether they should move on it anyway or whether whether it makes more sense for them to wait and see if if that value changes again between now and the trade deadline. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. He is uh, David Pinota of the fourth period, joins us regularly here on Canucks Central. Uh, this is uh, this has been the ongoing conversation in Vancouver. Obviously, it's it's always around JT Miller pegs, but um, you know, one thing that has been a part of the conversation is, well, they've got to wait for Nazem Kadri's situation to get settled, and he's still a free agent. Maybe the team that misses out on Kadri will start to chase Miller. Now Matthew Kachuk is out on the trade market, and that could be another stumbling block for the Canucks if they go down the road of, of trading JT, which, you know, as of right now, they keep saying they want to keep JT and try to sign him to an extension, but we know the trade is still a possibility given his contract situation. Has this market just developed in a way that's not conducive to the Canucks, uh, you know, getting the maximum return for JT Miller? Uh, I think um, for, for the most part, you know, the, the market really changed when, in terms of priority for certain teams, when Pierre-Luc Dubois said he's not signing a long-term deal with the Jets, or at least when that became public. Um, when, when that got out there and more teams became aware of it, it changed the narrative for a few different teams in terms of, okay, which types of players are actually out there and which types of players are teams actually willing to listen on. And then obviously while that happened, there was the whole JT stuff that was continuing to, to unfold. The break it was, was out there before he was moved to Ottawa. Now we have the Kachuk stuff, which I mean, this really within people within, you know, the league, um, this came as zero shock that this was going to happen. The writing was on the wall for a while. Um, they obviously tried to convince him. Otherwise, it hasn't worked. So now you've got not just Dubois still out there. You've got now Kachuk um, out there as well. And I think that's changed. And then you're hearing other teams that may be willing, like St. Louis, where we heard Tarasenko and Krug around draft time. Well, the only reason those guys were being discussed was because St. Louis was trying to do something else. Now, whether it's Kachuk or whether it was another type of another type of move, there seems to be this little domino effect that may come into play here when these big guys start to move. And that's going to affect what happens with JT Miller. Um, with one year left before unrestricted free agency, 
you know, it's a little bit different than guys that are controllable like Dubois and like Debrinkit was uh, before he was moved and, and like Kachuk is. So um, I think it, it makes sense as to why we're not hearing too much in terms of teams trying to go all in to get JT Miller at this stage and why the conversation may be shifting more and more towards how do we, if you're the Canucks, how do we keep this guy? Um, but the marketplace, everything has really shifted in the last two or three weeks because of some of the names, the big top-tier names that are basically available for move. And we've been discussing this on the show this morning, Dave, about JT Miller's value and how it's perceived in the Vancouver market as opposed to how it may be perceived around the league. You talk about some of these other high-profile names that may be more preferable to Miller for teams that are looking to add that sort of player right now. What is your sense of what the opinion is around the league about the kind of uh, player JT Miller is and his value and how that might differ from how we see it in Vancouver after watching him game in, game out for the last three seasons? Right. Um, Well, look, it's still high. I I don't think there's, I don't think anybody's, you know, looking at this possibility and saying, nah, we don't really want to give, you know, too much for him. Um, you know, there, there's still going to be, if he does get moved, it's still going to be a quality package, a quality type of deal that comes back, um, you know, for him, from, for the Canucks side, if, if they do go this route. Uh, the, the, the differentiator here is, will they have an understanding, whoever the team is that's trying to acquire him, will they have some type of notion or understanding that an extension is possible? Um, and if it's not, or if they don't have that uh, ability to speak with, you know, Brian Bartlett, his agent, or, you know, get a sense from the Canucks as to what that is realistically and, and trying to get to the meat of whether or not he would consider signing an extension with whoever would potentially acquire him. Um, without that information and, and, and without it being a positive bit of news for whoever that team is, the price is going to be less. Uh, so, you know, obviously signing a J or acquiring a JT Miller with six, seven years left on his contract will be, you know, it'll, it'll command a significantly greater return than having Dean Miller with one year left on his deal or in the final year, I guess, at this point, and the hope that he may stay. Uh, so, again, because you, we have these other guys that are out there that are more controllable um, because of their age and where they are uh, within their careers, those price tags seem to be a little bit higher. But with respect to JT Miller and, and his value around the league, I mean, there are – you know, 20 other teams that would take him in a heartbeat um, for what he brings to the table. And I say only 20 because the other teams are either rebuilding or, you know, quasi playoff teams or something like that that probably realistically aren't fit. But his value is high. It really comes down to are you getting JT Miller for one year or are you getting JT Miller for six, seven plus years? You know, the, the other part of this, too, is like how hard is it to move money around the league right now? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, you think about who's going to be able to take on a Matthew Kachuk contract. Well, the Flames are going to have to take back probably significant dollars in, in, in that sort of a trade to, to make it work, even uh, if Pierre-Luc Dubois gets moved. Why have Kadri and Klingberg not signed? Like, there's just uh, most of the cap space has already been eaten up around the league, and, and even teams that seemingly do have cap space, they probably have one or two RFAs to sign that's going to take up whatever available cap space they have remaining. A hundred percent. And that's, I mean, it, it's directly affecting 
Kadri and Klingberg. Um, I think they've got a sense of where they're going to end up. It's just, can that team, you know, can Colorado move out the space and, and get him back in the fold? Can another team create additional space and, and get him in the mix? Um, and like all of, all of this is really, I mean, jamming up the market to a certain extent. Um, I know some people are now starting to, you know, trying to beat the horn even more on luxury tax, luxury tax, luxury tax, um, which I totally am for. It's not going to happen anytime soon, but I mean, it's just a little bit of an argument to go towards that. Uh, but you're right. I mean, all of this is affecting everything. You, we see Nino Niederreiter signing with Nashville earlier and, you know, a $4 million AAV, he probably took less. He certainly took less than I anticipated and that others thought he would get because, you know, if you want to go to a contender, there's, there aren't that many that have that, that amount of space. And do, do certain players want to go to a rebuilding Anaheim that has a ton of cap space, but it's going to take them a few years to get into contender status and, and so on. So but the money plays a, as much of a factor as the value here. And you're right, if, whenever Kachuk is dealt, Calgary's going to have to take some money back. But, you know, how does that money look like? Is it quality money? Are you getting a quality player that makes a lot of money and you're swapping it out? Or are you taking some good young pieces and having to take on a, you know, dead contract or bad contract or whatever it has so that you can even up the money? All of this is affecting that market. It's going to affect what happens with JT Miller if he's moved um, and, and other players that are out there as well. And with the Matthew Kachuk situation, I want to get your thoughts on the impact that he will have on any potential trade. And I guess the the era or the beginning of what we're seeing in terms of players exerting more of the power that they have to control their futures at an earlier point in their career, you know, how much is it going to limit the flames? Do you think in terms of what they're able to do, because there are only certain places you may be willing to go to sign an extension and, and how is that going to change the landscape going forward? If other restricted free agents, you know, exert the same sort of control over their own situation that we're seeing Kachuk do right now. Yeah. Um, well, look, they, they've, they've got certainly every right to do that. Um, and, and, you know, why, if you're an acquiring or another team that's trying to acquire a player, why would you want a guy that really doesn't, doesn't want to be there? So it's, you got to look at it on, on that side too, and all the power to the guys to, to be able to at least control part of where they want to go um, at, at, this, at this young stage. I mean, Dubois is in the same boat. Uh, I'm sure we're going to hear some stuff with a few other players over the years, and, and I don't think this is going to be, you know, a, a regular occurrence in terms of, all right, every year it's like five, ten guys that are going to have to deal with this. But we may see one or two, you know, every season moving forward where they just realistically don't want to be in a particular spot for long term and, you know, are going to try to see what their options are. They're not going to handcuff their team. Like, Chuck, I know there were, what is it, four or five teams that were reported as the only teams he would go to. That's my understanding is it's closer to the dozen mark. Um not the whatever it was, St. Louis and, and some of the, you know, uh, states without any, you know, state tax. So yeah, I think there's, there's certainly more of an option or more options available, I should say, to grad for living in, in Calgary and, and, you know, where he wants to go. Um, you know, he's got to be fair about this situation as well. So, and, and I think he is under the circumstances. Um, but look, this, I mean, if this is a, a type of trend that's going to continue, if it is it is what it is. It's up to the managers to figure out how they can make the right move for their team. It's certainly, you know, from a fan base perspective, it sucks, and it's a double whammy right now for Calgary because Johnny Gaudreau left. 
and you're losing two guys that scored over 100 points in you know, what would be basically like a blink of an eye. So it, it, it certainly stings. Um, but for a player of his caliber with what he's able to do, I've got to imagine the return is going to be, you know, respectable. We're going to see a blockbuster type of deal when this does happen. This isn't going to be, you know, Kachuk going to Team X for a couple of young pieces and, and hope for the best. There's going to be quality going back. This is going to be a big deal. Um, it's just the nature of the beast now with how things are going in the NHL. It, it's almost like giving these guys in, on the restricted side of things, uh, restricted free agents, that is, you know, a, a moderated no-trade clause or no-movement type clause because of the control that they ultimately have with respect to wanting to stay somewhere long-term. It's, um, you know, one, one of the things about you know, player control, it, you have to be a certain level of player to to sort of earn that, and, you know, guys like Kachuk and, and Goudreau have that. Um, it's, I mean, it's a real focus on the Canadian markets here, Dave, right? And, and it, you know, Calgary is, is feeling the brunt of it. We know Winnipeg has dealt with it for years, guys wanting out and wanting to play elsewhere. Uh, obvi- one, one big one we're going to watch in the next couple of years is Austin Matthews. And, and then, hey, Edmonton is going to have to figure it out with, with Leon Dreisaitl and, and Connor McDavid in just a, a, a few years' time. It's not that that far around the corner. Even the Vancouver Canucks, Elias Pettersson coming up uh, to restricted free agency two seasons from now, and then he'll be a year out from UFA status. So you wonder how that will play out. It just feels like there's more pressure on Canadian teams to be in a situation that their star players really believe in because in reality, a lot of times, those star players, especially if they aren't Canadian, and even sometimes when they are, may prefer to play elsewhere in the glitz and the glamour of an L.A. or or an Anaheim or the, the Las Vegas sort of thing. And, and Florida, we know, has been a big market lately. It just feels, if you're a Canadian team, you have to, you really have to be selling your players on what you're doing and your project, and they have to believe that they can win, or else you're likely going to watch those guys walk. That's the biggest thing. It's win. Um, you know, I, I've been covering the Leafs here in Toronto, going to most of their games every season for the last, whatever, eight, ten years. Um, when this team was poop, um, <laughs> nobody wanted to come good, here. Good, good word, I, good word. Yeah, yeah, I caught myself on that one. Um, but, uh, look, if, if this team, and I talked to a bunch of players, star players, um, would you want to come here and, and you know, uh, be part of the resurrection of this club? And across the board, it was not really because uh, the pressure of being not just here in Toronto or in Vancouver or Montreal, but the pressure of Canadian markets when you're not doing well, it, it takes a toll on these guys. So if you're doing well and if you're in contention, it's a lot easier to, for the most part, not always. And we've seen, you know, I mean, Goudreau's separate situation um, uh, on the family side, totally different, totally get it. Uh, but you know, but also, if Goudreau, if Goudreau knows Kachuk is leaving, he probably doesn't see well, that much of a competitive window there either. Right, and that, that certainly could have played, uh, and I imagine it did, play a factor in that. Like, if, if for whatever reason, and this is very hypothetical, but let's say, you know, Petey and, and Quinn Hughes and, you know, Horvat and, uh, and Brock in a few years all say, yeah, let's. I kind of want to go somewhere <laughs> else, or I kind of want to move on, or something like that. Then the other guy's probably going to say, "Well, if we lose you, then it's going to take this much longer for us to get that." So maybe I should go too. And 
like certainly that plays a factor. Um, and I could use any example. The same could be in Toronto with Matthews and Marner and Nylander and so on. They may say, yeah, I think I want to try something else. And then the other guy may say, well, if you're leaving, I mean, it's going to put us in a hole. So maybe I should leave too. Uh, but really the key on the Canadian market side of things for the most part is, is winning. And if you're there and if you win, I mean, you're, you're at the pinnacle and there's, statues and all kinds of stuff that'll be all over town. You'll be commemorated forever. Uh, but you have to get to that point and you've got to be able to sustain the pressure when things are bad. And a lot of guys on our side of the border don't really want to deal with it when it's, when it's at a low tide. So it is tricky. It is tougher. Um, but the same thing, look, you, you mentioned Florida. And I mean, like guys want to go to Florida now because I mean, the living condition is a bonus but the team is right there in the middle of contention for a Stanley Cup. That's why they're that much more attractive. Um, same with L.A. When L.A. was winning, guys wanted to go there. The last you know, few years prior to this season, it was like, a, eh, not yet, maybe. Manhattan Beach is lovely, but let's see if these guys can you know, get it together, and then maybe I'll consider it. It goes across the board. Yeah, and, and sticking with the Flames, we learned today that the uh, the arbitration hearing for Matthew Kachuk, I believe, is going to be August 11th, which is the latest possible date. So that gives them a ton of time to try and sort through this. But where do you see the Flames going from here? And I know you touched on it briefly, and, and a large part of that will depend on what the return looks like in the Kachuk trade, but you take 200-point players off your roster, you would immediately think that that you don't see yourself as a contender anymore, but at the same time, they have some older players on contracts that would suggest that they feel like they are in their window uh, or were in their window prior to this. So how, how do the flames move on from this? What do you think they need to do and, and what direction will they ultimately go in? Well, I think, uh, and there's a variety of factors here, um, you know, that, that certainly come into play the arena, you know, being one is the city and, the team continues mm-hmm. to battle it out to try to do that. I mean, if you're a bottom feeder type team, then, well, you're probably not going to be pushing overly hard to spend extra dollars to build a new rink just yet. I mean, look at Ottawa. It's taken them to this point where they're now at that, you know, they, they feel they're making, they're adding all these extra pieces and, hey, this arena project is really starting to get off the ground and, and take off. We're probably going to hear some positive stuff over the remainder of this calendar year with respect to that um, to that project. So there are other elements outside of the on ice stuff that certainly comes into play here, uh, you know, for, for Calgary, but you know, you look at the roster, you look at the goaltending and how, how well Jacob Markstrom played during the season. You look at the decor and you're going, okay, this is, you know, it's a, it's a solid, it's a solid group that they've got on the back end. Um, obviously, you know, they got to get, you know, Shellington locked in. Uh, he's another RFA and, and certainly Majapani as well up front. Um, but to, I think depending on what the return is for Kachuk, if you can get somebody that can slot in a young player on that top line, then I think they're going to move forward with the idea that, hey, we're still – like, yes, we lost Johnny Gaudreau. Yes, we lost Kachuk, but we replaced him with X. We still feel we can make some noise and make some damage here. Um, and I think that's the mindset within management, within that group. Um, it's a blow, certainly, but hey, let's. We've got a lot of talent here. We still feel the window is is open, and with Daryl Sutter behind the bench, you know he's going to want to 
get these guys rolling and, and stay within contention as well. So I'm not ready to write them off by any stretch. I want to see what the return is going to be for Matthew Kachuk and what other type of moves they could potentially make. Because, I, I, you know, regardless of what happens with Kachuk, I don't think they're going to be done in filling some of what they lost. So uh, who are the favorites right now for, for Kadri and Klingberg? You know, I, I still think I still think Colorado's right at the top. Wow. Um, for Nas, uh, they got to figure out a few things, and, and I think he does as well. Um, but it's kind of just the waiting game there. I, I haven't heard too much, and like maybe everyone's just keeping it super quiet. But I, I still think that they're the they're the primary team right now um, with respect to him. And I know, yes, other teams have kind of reached out and you know tried to figure out if there's an option. Um, but if I'm going to handicap it with one team for now, I still think it's the Abs. And on Klingberg's side of things, you know, Ottawa's there for a good stretch. Um, I, I don't think they're part of it now. Uh, I, you know, we, we heard some stuff with, with the Canucks and can they move Myers and maybe that's a fit for, for them. Detroit's been in the mix really from the get-go. And if I'm leaning to one team, it might be the Wings um, with what they've got going there. Uh, you know, I'm a little surprised. I think he just got married yesterday or he's getting married today or something like that. Um, so I thought he was going to have a nice little wedding present um, and lock into a new team, but we, you know, we just haven't seen that yet. So, um, I mean, congrats to him, but I, I think he's going to kind of get, um, I think his situation will be resolved sooner than, than Kadri's from the sounds of things, unless you know, all of a sudden the abs make their move and they can slot him in. Pags, we uh, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. You got it. Thanks, boys. Uh, there is uh, David Pinota of the fourth period. Now, it's something uh, Sat and I have talked about a little bit, the Canucks' interest in John Klingberg. It's obviously and always has been contingent on them potentially opening up cap space, but I think it flies in the face of, of something we thought, Batch, where uh, maybe the Canucks are just opening up cap space to do something two or three years down the line, but... I think they wanted to open up cap space to do something right away with this roster. Well, and especially with the defense. And you can understand why uh, after what we've seen on the blue line in the last number of years, the question is, are they going to be able to? And you would think that if that was a reality, then it would have happened by now. I guess once some of these dominoes fall, it could open up some options for them on the trade market. They're certainly hoping that, it will for JT Miller, I would imagine. But does does that also extend to a potential Tyler Myers trade or not? It's it, it's going to be interesting to see. The one thing that I, I just keep thinking about is how Jim Rutherford said time and time again coming into this job that it was going to be hard to move to move salaries, to move cap money out, to create that flexibility that has been their number one goal. And Man, was he right. It has been hard, you know, arguably impossible for them to do it to this point. And, you know, as we sit here in in late July, what, just 10 days away from turning the calendar to August, right now this is essentially the same team that's coming back next year with, you know, a couple of tweaks around the edges in terms of depth players and, and signing a guy like Kuzmenko and bringing in Mikheyev. But, you know, the core is untouched, which I don't think any of us would have expected at this point. And it really does make you wonder if, uh, you know, if the task of moving that money out, of creating that flexibility 
has proved to be that much more difficult than even Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin would have imagined. And if they're going to be able to do anything, or if the reality is that they have to go back into the season with the group that they have right now and, and see if anything shakes loose as they get closer to the trade deadline. It's uh, it's not easy, you know, to move money right now. It's the hardest thing in the league to do. You can do it. Uh, it's just going to cost you quite a bit as we've seen with some of the moves Arizona has made. And that's not something that's going to help the Canucks down the road. You know, they're not doing that to try and open up so that they can do something right away. It's, it's got to be a balance of we need to move salary, but we have to do it in a way that is conducive for us to potentially open up space and do something with it right now, but also understand that our main contention window is probably two or three years away. Stan Richo and Brendan Batchelor coming up in hour two. Jesse Granger of the Vegas Golden Knights covering the Vegas Golden Knights will join us. Are they going to be able to pull off a Matthew Kachuk trade as well? Probably not, at least from my estimation. That, and what should Calgary be doing going forward? Is it a strip-it-down rebuild for the Flames coming up? We'll discuss on Canuck Central.